Israel. There is no other word in geopolitics today as contentious as this nation's name. Bring it up and you'll come away with a bunch of different reactions. Most will likely come away with some kind of criticism. Others may have a lot of contempt or even outright hatred. Still others may have no opinion at all. But some who seem obsessed with the end of the world may extol the virtues of Israel and make many wonder what in the world is the big deal about them. The point of this series is to give you a good, basic, bare-bones framework as to why many prophecy-minded Christians emphasize the importance of the nation of Israel and the Jewish people so much, to the point that Benjamin Netanyahu, the again-elected Prime Minister of Israel, have called evangelical Christians a great friend of Israel. This was during a function for a group called Christians United for Israel, where Netanyahu was giving a speech in July of 2017. The fact that I just quoted that there even is a group called Christians United for Israel should say a lot. This is extremely biblical as well as when one adopts what is called a plain sense interpretation of the Bible. This means I take what the Bible says at face value, recognizing allegory when it's given in the scripture. For example, in John verse 9, Jesus says that he is the door. If anyone enters by him, they will be saved. Does Jesus really mean that he is a literal door? Shall we install Jesus into a house with hinges, making sure we have all of our Jesus doors on our homes? Of course not. Jesus, though, is making an allegorical point to illustrate a literal truth. No one comes to the Father except through him, what he does and has accomplished for us. That will also be our approach in interpreting the scriptures, also known as the Bible. So today we will start at the beginning, just like anyone would, just like the Bible does in the book of Genesis. The word Genesis means origin or mode of forming something. God created the world and all of us, and we're told how it happens in the book of Genesis. But our focus isn't going to be about the creation of the world. Rather, we will focus on how the nation of Israel and how she came to be. There is one thing we must cover in the creation account, however, and that is something called the Proto-Evangelium. That is a term theologians have come up with and means first gospel. This can be found in Genesis 3.15, which states, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This was directly after the sin and fall of Adam and Eve, which brought about the never-ending sin of cycle to the human race. See also Romans 5, verses 12 through 14. But a deeper look into Genesis 3.15 reveals something. God is speaking to the serpent who tempted Eve and clearly talks to the one behind the serpent, much like we find in Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 15 and Ezekiel 28 verses 12 through 19, which are believed to be about speaking to the one behind the serpent as well. That is Satan, the arch enemy of God and humanity. The offspring will produce a singular he who will bruise the head of the serpent. If you're a person who's into genealogies, you'll know and understand we all come from our ancestors. That is to say, a line of human secession by which we have all come from. With enough records, we can trace every one of our origins. It's a lot of work, but it can be done. But where shall this person he, spoken of in Genesis 3.15, even going to come from? And how will we even know who this he is and if he has even arrived yet? That question brings us to chapter 12 in the book of Genesis, but to give you some context, let's go over a brief synopsis of chapters 1 through 11. 
Genesis 1 through 2 chronicled the creation of the world. Genesis 3 chronicled the fall of humanity. Genesis 4 tells us about the first offspring of Adam and Eve, which chronicles the very first recorded murder in the Bible. It doesn't take long for sin to take hold and get incredibly bad. Genesis 5 chronicles the descendants of Adam to Noah. Genesis 6 is about Noah and the flood that destroyed humanity. This destroyed humans who had evil thoughts continually. See also Genesis 6 verse 5. However, a small remnants of humans were saved. See also Genesis 7 verse 7. Okay, picking it back up in Genesis 7 through 9, it chronicles the flood and its aftermath. Genesis 10 chronicles the descendants of Noah into the nations that were to come. Genesis 11 chronicles the Tower of Babel and the further descendants of Noah. Genesis 12 brings us to the focus of our study today. God is clearly building humanity into what we'll know from history to be the nations, but he decided to focus on one in particular. Why? Remember the he I spoke of earlier? This he shall have to have a genealogy of origin. God is about to create a nation for that origin to come. There was a man named Abram who we're told about in chapter 11, verse 28, and he comes from a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. This was an area in ancient time that corresponds to modern-day southern Iraq. Abram is the same man who would be renamed Abraham. In chapter 1129, we're told Abram took a wife whose name was Sarai. In verse 30, we're told that she is barren and unable to have children, which will come into play in later chapters and in another study in this series. In chapter 12, verse 1, God calls Abram and tells him to leave his country and go to the land that he will be shown. In verses 2 through 3, God tells Abram that he will make him, Abram, into a great nation and that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because of him. We are told that Abram is 75 years old when this takes place. There are some things that occur along the way, but for the sake of our discussion, we'll skip to chapter 14, starting in verse 17. This is where Abram meets a man and a priest of God named Melchizedek. Those familiar with the Bible will also remember this name in the New Testament book of Hebrews in chapter 7. However, in Genesis 14 verse 20, Melchizedek blesses Abram and Abram gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything. This is the first tithe recorded in the Bible. Tithe meaning a tenth and what many of us know to be a financial or economic sacrifice to God. The main point of our study today will be over chapter 15, however. First, we know that Abram and Sarai were still childless at this point, which was a big deal in the ancient world. One was expected to carry on the family lineage by having children, but they literally could not have any. God then promises to Abram that he, Abram, will not have to leave all of his possession to a person called Eliezer of Damascus. God assures Abram that Eliezer of Damascus will not be his heir, that his very own son shall be his heir. God then showed Abram the stars of the sky. Now, we're going to have to pause for a second so I can make a point. Most of us today live in cities that have a lot of light pollution, and you can only see a handful of stars. So what I'm about to tell you what God says to Abram may not seem like much, but if you go out to, say, Big Bend National Park in Texas here in the United States and wait until nightfall, you will see the stars like you've never seen them before and can only see on the internet or even on YouTube. 
What you'd see at Big Bend is roughly the kind of sky God took Abram to see when he told Abram something profound. Keep in mind, Abram has no son and has no means to have one, so Sarai is barren and unable to have children. In chapter 15, verse 5, we're told God tells Abram to look up into the sky and then tells him, as the stars are, so shall the descendants be. Meaning that he and Sarai would eventually have children, and those children would go on to be too numerous to count. This is where God first justified a man by faith in verse 6. We're told that Abram believed God, and God credited that to Abram as righteousness. Later, the Apostle Paul would use this foundational truth by which New Covenant believers are justified before God. See also Romans chapter 4. The second significant part of chapter 15 is the land covenant that God makes with Abram. In verse 7, God then focuses on the land that he promised to give to Abram and his descendants. In verse 8, Abram asks God how he, Abram, knows that this will happen. God instructs Abram to gather a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. These are animals that would later be mandated for sacrifice for sin in the book of Leviticus in the giving of the law of Moses. He then tells Abram to cut them in half, except for the birds, and lay each half against the other. God then puts Abram to sleep. God goes on to predict the captivity and enslavement in Egypt of Abram's descendants, and then after 400 years, God would bring them into the land of promise. God then causes a smoking fiery pot and a flaming torch to pass in between the pieces as he is pledging to give his offspring the land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Ketamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The smoking fiery pot and the flaming torch was a representative presence of God himself. Abram was asleep as the covenant is being given, but he is fully aware of what is going on, so this is likely a dream. The idea here is, if the covenant fails to be fulfilled by the parties passing between the animals cut in half, that they themselves would be then cut in half. It was a pledge that if the covenant is not followed through with, then the offending party would be killed. The only party, though, that passed through the pieces was God himself, making God the only binding party to this land covenant to the descendants of Abram, who would become Abraham, the father of the modern-day Jewish people. And what do we see today in the Middle East? Israel. A nation that came from one man that has been pursued to the ends of the earth in history. They lost their land in 70 AD with the sacking of Jerusalem by the Roman Empire and lost it until May 14, 1948, when they were renamed a nation again by United Nations Proclamation. They were almost immediately attacked by the nations around them and won that war against all odds. In total, since 1948, Israel has been in eight recognized wars and has won all of them. So not only did the descendants of Abraham come into the land of promise, they came back to it after almost 1900 years of exile and have successfully fought off all efforts to exile them again. It's almost like the Lord is fighting for them. See also Exodus 14 verse 14. And that will conclude our study today. However, we spoke of the righteousness that comes from faith as we saw in chapter 15 verse 6 of Genesis. 
Given all that we have chronicled that God has done, which is the impossible, wouldn't you say that's significant? Wouldn't you say that perhaps something is on the horizon? That begs the question then, how is your relationship with God, this same God that we've been speaking of? If you stood before him today and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, or as we've discussed today, my land, what would you say? Did you know that the Bible says that all of our deeds are like filthy rags before him? See also Isaiah 64 verse 6. Did you know that the Bible says that the soul that sins shall die? See also Ezekiel 18 verse 20. If you sin even one time, you're destined for hell. But did you know God did something about that? Jesus died for your sins on the cross and then was raised to life three days later, meaning that God accepted his sacrifices. Those sins that you committed that God pledged would cause you to die have been dealt with. And I'll tell you how you can appropriate this work of Jesus into your life in the next segment coming up in just a few seconds. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus is who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that he is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and heart and everything through a process, if you will, to embody what has already taken place in your heart by simply praying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change not so much materially, not so much in terms of the world, but your life will change in your standing before God in that you may know that you can have eternal life. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He said, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but so that you can know. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.